Hey, good morning, friends. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mount. And my name is Bethany, and I'm the pastor to women here. Mm. Some of you may know that we just returned from sabbatical, six weeks. And uh, we just want to thank you as our mm. church family for that time. It was an amazing time for us just to connect as a family and mm -hmm. for Bethany and I just to sit and listen to Jesus. And we just want to thank you again and thank you for loving our family. Mm -hmm. And thank you to those of you who pray for us and we're praying for us during that time. Mm -hmm. But we're thrilled to be thank back. You. And we're going to begin a new series this morning. It's called Wisdom in a Disorienting World. And friends, I think after this last year and a half, most of us would agree that this world can feel a bit disorienting at times. Many of us would say that we've gone through and seen things that we never would have anticipated in this mm -hmm. world. I remember early in the pandemic uh, when a local restaurant chain announced that they were laying off all of their mm -hmm. employees, hundreds of people, just thinking, I need wisdom mm -hmm. uh, as a leader. And I did what I've done before many times. I called my mentor. He's a few decades older than me and has served in the same position I'm in for over 20 years. And I remember thinking, Luke will give me wisdom on how to lead through this time, through this pandemic. So I called him. And the very first question I asked was, so how do we lead through a pandemic? And I'll never forget his answer. He just said, Paul, he asked, how old do you really think I am? <laughs> I wasn't alive in 1918. I have no idea how to lead through a pandemic. And I loved what he said. He said, what you and I need to do is we just need to mm. seek the Lord for wisdom. Yeah. And friends, the good news is God knew we needed wisdom. And so right near the middle of Scripture, he's placed three books that are known as the wisdom books or the wisdom literature. Job. Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And honestly, friends, I don't think there's any group of books that are more timely for us to be studying right now. And it's one of the reasons we're so excited that we actually get to unpack one of those books over the next few weeks, and that is the book of Proverbs. Mm -hmm. And friends, as we look at Proverbs and start our series this morning, we want to look specifically at wisdom and what the Bible or what Proverbs tells us about wisdom, its characteristics. Mm -hmm. But before we open our Bibles and start to unpack our text this morning, there are a couple of things I just want to clarify or I want us to be aware of. One has to do with wisdom, and then two have to do with the book of Proverbs itself. First, in regards to wisdom, wisdom, as it's laid out in Scripture, it's much different than the way we typically think of wisdom, which is like this accumulation of knowledge. Yeah. The Hebrew word for wisdom in Scripture actually implies so much more. It implies more of knowledge applied or like a way of life. That's good. So keep that as in mind as we um, look at the subject of wisdom. But then in regards to the book of Proverbs, there's a couple of things that are really critical for us to be aware of as we begin our series. The first is this. Proverbs shares with us principles, and that is different than promises. Mm. Principles are things that are typically true or generally true about our world. Yet there are exceptions to those things that are typical. They don't happen all the time. So let me give you an example. Proverbs 21.5 tells us that good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. And I think most of us would agree 
good planning and hard work typically leads to prosperity. Yet, friends, there's a multitude of different reasons why someone might be able to plan or plans well and works hard and yet doesn't prosper. Maybe it's generational poverty. Maybe it's lack of opportunity. And the opposite is true. There may be someone who doesn't plan well and doesn't work hard, and yet they're loaded. They prosper. I can't help but thinking of the old romantic comedy uh, about a boy. And I know it's surprising for some of you, but um, I've seen a lot of romantic comedies. Sleep in Seattle like 50 times. Something like Something that, like I think, that. yeah. But in this movie, Hugh Grant's character is this guy who spends his whole day, he's wealthy as can be, watching game shows and taking baths because he's inherited this, uh, the royalties of a Christmas carol that his dad wrote. So friends, you see there that there are exceptions to this, yet typically good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Let me offer one more example that I think is really important. And this is a proverb that's shared in Christian circles, uh, uh, parenting circles, and I think if we misunderstand principle versus promise, this is one place where someone could come, become very discouraged. Mm. And it's Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Friends, that, that is typically mm. true. We train up our child. Uh, we share the knowledge of the Lord with them. Um, that is a good, wise thing to do with your children. And yet, we know, and I'm sure most of us know, plenty of godly parents yeah. who have trained their children up in the Lord, and yet their children no longer follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is no result of disobedience on their part or a failure on their part at all as parents. Mm -hmm. It's the reality that, yes, this is a principle, but principles have exceptions. So again, keep in mind, principle versus promises. Good. Now, promises that God makes in Scripture, we can bank our life on them, and we should. So when we read in Scripture that if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, that's a promise. Yeah. God will save you, friend. He will never turn you away. When we read Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you, friends, he will never leave us or forsake us. No matter what we're walking through or how we feel, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So again, keep in mind, principle versus Good. promises. Mm -hmm. The second thing we need to be aware of about the book of Proverbs is it actually has a plot and main characters and secondary characters. So the main characters we see in the book of Proverbs are a father, who's a king, and his son, and then two metaphorical characters, Lady Wisdom, who represents wisdom, and Lady Folly, who represents folly or foolishness. And then as we'll see today, some secondary characters will show up. But ultimately, Proverbs is this father who's sharing with his son about life wisdom, and trying to get him to choose lady wisdom or wisdom rather than lady folly, folly or foolishness. So you can almost imagine it. It's like a father putting his arm around his son saying, uh, when the son says, I want to go do this, the father says, 
No, son, you, you don't, you don't want to go do that. Or if the son says, I want to marry a woman like that. And the father says, no, son, you do not want to marry a woman like that. Why, dad? Trust me, you want to marry a woman like this. Mm. And so with those things in mind about wisdom and about the book of Proverbs, we're going to begin our series, Wisdom in a Disorienting World. And we're actually going to begin our series on the book of Proverbs by starting at the end of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 31. And we're going to ask this question, what are the characteristics of wisdom? And we're blessed this morning to have our wise and dear friend, Joan Anderson, read our text. These are the wise sayings of King Lemuel taught to him by his mother. Oh, my son, O oh, son of my womb, O oh, son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who will ruin kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Give strong drink to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark and provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hands, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arm to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for the cold because her household is all clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gates where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring praise at the city gate. Thank you, friend. Uh, Joan, we love you. Uh, before we dive into this passage together, it's important to see how this chapter is actually broken up into two different segments. So the first segment, verse 1 through 9, 
we see a mother who is speaking to her son, King Lemuel, who's about to be king. Mm -hmm. And she's giving him instructions for living wisely as a king. And then in the second segment uh, that Joan read, um, verses 10 through 31, we see the description of a woman of noble character. And she is basically the embodiment of lady wisdom that um, the rest of the book of Proverbs refers to. So it's like she's all of the wisdom of Proverbs lived out practically. So in the first nine verses, we see this mom. She's instructing her son, who's about to be king, not to chase after women, not to use his strength on women, and not to get drunk. And the reason why is, or else he might deprive the oppressed of their rights. Instead, she says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Speak up for the vulnerable. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy, verse 9. Use your power and influence for that, my son. That is what wisdom looks like. And, you know, we all know firsthand after these past couple of years um, just what it looks like for those in places of power, privilege, or influence um, to trample on the rights of the poor and the afflicted. We have witnessed it in our country. And I don't think I need to get into specific examples necessarily, as I'm sure we can all think of, of some, but we all have witnessed people in positions of power, whether it be political positions on, on both sides of the spectrum or the private sector who disregard those who are outcast or vulnerable or marginalized or those who are truly vo voiceless in our world. And I would just say, I think King Lemuel's mom would probably have a few things to say to each of them. And I just, I don't you just love this mom? I love, I love this mom. I'd love just to kind of sit down with her and share a cup of coffee. Um, but friends, there's a, there's a challenge here for all of us, not just those in powerful, influential positions, but we all have a sphere of influence, whether that be in your neighborhood or your home, your workplace, your community, um, the city, the world we live in. Use your power and your influence, however small it may feel at times, to speak up for those who are voiceless in our society. And this mother is saying, this is actually a wise use of your time and your resources. And then next, we see uh, the next 21 verses, verses 10 through 31, it describes a woman of noble character who embodies the wisdom of the entire book of Proverbs. And I need to say something about the second part of our passage. Um, as a woman, to our women today, how many of you uh, feel a little bit maybe intimidated by the Proverbs 31 woman? <laughs> I know I do. Um, she's super intimidating. I mean, most women who read this passage feel some level of guilt or shame or inadequacy. Um, she's diligent and successful and energetic and godly, and she takes excellent care of her family while also like running a business. Um, 
her children and her husband even rise up to praise her. And she even has time or makes time to serve the poor. But don't let your feelings of inadequacy <laughs> cause you to feel discouragement this morning. Just, just hang with us because there's so much here in this beautiful passage of scripture that I know God wants to speak to each one of us this morning. And one thing I learned this past week as we were studying um, this passage is that each line of the verses 10 through 31 actually begin with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it was the English alphabet, it'd be 26 verses and it would begin with A and then B, C, all the way down to Z. And clearly the writer is trying to communicate something to us by the way that he wrote this proverb. It isn't just a picture of an individual woman, although we can read it on an individual level and that's good, but it's like an A to Z of what wisdom is for all of us, whether that be men, women, it's for all of us. It sits within like a, a larger picture. So it's the embodiment of wisdom and it's speaking to all people. So now that we have kind of some context there, there's three key themes that kind of rose to the surface for us. I know there's many of them yeah. in this long passage, but there's three key themes that rose to the surface about what characterizes wisdom. Yeah, yeah. so friends, let's, let's look at that first characteristic of wisdom. Let's look at verse 17. Mm -hmm. It says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And then verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She is not afraid mm -hmm. of the future. But friends, the first thing we see is strength. Mm -hmm. That characterizes wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But we need to understand this strength in Scripture, this strength that's spoken of in the book of Proverbs in the wife of noble character is different than the way our world views strength. Our world tends to view strength as aggression or muscles or maybe even violence. And yet this strength, it looks more like resilience, mm. dignity, and hope. Mm, that's good. So friends, this strength looks a little bit less like this and a little more like this, Miss Rosa Parks. Mm. And friends, that is Lady Wisdom. Her strength has been tried and tested and it runs deep. One of my favorite authors talks about how they used to build ships out of wood. And that the type of wood they looked for was oak. But they weren't just looking for the oak trees that were uh, growing in valleys where they were protected from the wind. The prized oaks were the ones that were battered and buffeted by the winds. Because those oaks, their roots ran deep mm -hmm. and they brought the strongest wood. Mm. And that is the type of strength that typifies this woman of noble character. That is the type of strength that characterizes wisdom. Mm. And friends, that is the type of strength that should typif typify strength for us as Christ followers. 
Because it is not the world that defines strength to us, but it's how Jesus used his strength that should define strength to us. Now, I would add this. Our world also seems to associate youth with strength. And I'm not denying the fact that the 24-year-old version of me was far stronger than this 44-year-old version. But remember, this wisdom, the characteristic of wisdom, this strength has nothing to do with physical strength. It's resilience, it's dignity, it's hope. And one of the things that we love, I love most about our church family, is that we're multi-generational. We have a lot of older brothers and sisters here at Cedar Mill, our ambassadors, who are strong like this. Their faith has been tried and tested, and their roots of faith run deep. They, exam- they exhibit for us that resilience, that dignity, and that hope. And I just want to say on behalf of us pastors and elders, after this last year and a half, we are so thankful for our ambassadors And your strength has blessed this church family and continues to bless this church family. Absolutely. Yeah. You're a treasure Mm -hmm. to us. The second thing that we see in this passage that characterizes wisdom is compassion. Mm -hmm. Look with me at verse 20. It says, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands Mm -hmm. to the needy. Verse 26 She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Or some translations say kindness is on her tongue. Godly wisdom sees the poor and meets their needs and exhibits kindness. Compassion is defined as the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. So it isn't simply to feel sorry for someone, but to actually take action um, to help. And Jesus is the embodiment, the imperfect embodiment of compassion, isn't he? Mm. Uh, One of the highlights for me um, over the past couple of years in this really difficult Mm. season that we have all faced um, is seeing so many of you reflect Christ's compassion, whether that be uh, giving up your stimulus check. I had a few people call and say, hey, I received this. I don't really need it. Is there anyone who needs help paying rent right now? Or just all the people that gave so generously um, to our benevolence fund so that we could show the compassion of Christ by helping meet needs. Uh, One of you um, was just moved by compassion when you saw so many kids who were vulnerable at home while parents were working and they were just falling behind in their schools. And so you opened up your home and even asked to open up our church building uh, to welcome in these kids so they could be read to and tutored and get some help and support with online school. And I, I remember one morning just walking into the chapel and I was just moved to tears because I saw all these little faces, all these little kids with people, volunteers reading to them and just coming alongside and just showing them Christ's compassion. I think if we could sum up uh, the whole character of Christ, of Jesus, it might be this one sentence. 
Mm. He was moved with mm. compassion. Beauty. We see his compassion all throughout the New Testament as every encounter that he had with someone. He healed the sick and the lame and the blind, and, um, or maybe it was the way that he yeah. engaged the woman at the well or, or set the demon-possessed man free or how he forgave sin. He saw each of these individuals and had compassion on them and took action. Mm. He pursued them and loved them and healed them, setting mm. them free. Uh, if you haven't um, read the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, I highly recommend it. In fact, Paul gave it to me and encouraged me to read it um, over sabbatical. And it's one of the best books I've ever read. It's written about who Jesus is, not just what he's done, but mm. about his character. Like what makes him tick, or as mm. Dane Ortland says, what makes him get out of bed in the morning? And um, in this book, Dane Ortland writes this. He says, the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait of Jesus is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. Matthew 9.36 says, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for them for he knew they couldn't save themselves. And even on the way to the cross as, you know, Peter's like exhibiting his strength and he's like trying to save Jesus and he takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. You know, Jesus turns to him and is like, you know, what are you doing, Peter? Like, put your sword away. That's not the kind of strength that I need. I don't need your muscle. I came to wash feet. I came to serve. I came to die. I came to save. And on the cross, um, Jesus demonstrates compassion mm. even to those who are killing him. He says, Father, have mercy on them, for they don't know what they're doing. He is the perfect example or embodiment of compassion. Mm. I love it. The wisest of all is mm. the most compassionate of all. Uh, absolutely, yeah. But friends, the third thing we see that characterizes wisdom and the wife of noble character and lady wisdom is this. Look with me at verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to mm -hmm. come. Finally, Proverbs 30, or verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm -hmm. Friends, the third thing that we see that's a characteristic of wisdom is fear. But it's important to note in these verses what this woman fears and what she doesn't fear. She doesn't fear for her household and how she'll be provided for. She doesn't fear the snow. And she doesn't fear the future. Remember, she's filled with hope. Mm -hmm. But she does fear something. And it says, she fears the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 9 tells us it's the beginning of wisdom. 
And be certain of this, it has less to do with terror Mm -hmm. and far more to do with reverence and awe. But friends, I think at this moment in time, it's important for us to press in just a little bit more into what that reverence and awe is or what brings that about. Or else it just sits there as this abstract feeling Feeling. that we may or may not have. Friends, the fear of the Lord at its heart is a heart posture. Mm. It's understanding our place in creation. It's understanding that God gets to decide what is good and evil. God gets to decide, and he alone, what is right and wrong. Mm, And then it's having our hearts postured so that we desire to obey what he says. That is the fear of the Lord. Now, friends, one of the best parts about fearing the Lord is this. If we fear the Lord, as we see from this woman of noble character, we need not fear anything else. Again, she doesn't fear that she won't be provided for. She doesn't fear the future at all. She laughs at the times Mm -hmm. to come. I love that. All she fears is the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus, straight truth. We fear God and nothing else. But with all that said, as Bethany mentioned, we can look at this woman in Proverbs 31. She is a reflection of lady wisdom, broader characteristics of of wisdom. But she's also the embodiment on an individual level of that wisdom. So I just want to take a moment before we're done, and I want to speak on an individual level to my single brothers maybe my millennial or Gen Z brothers. And I want to tell you something. This is is the dating profile you're looking for. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I know there's all kinds of talk, talk about 29 points of compatibility, but take it from this old Gen Xer. At the end of the day, This is what matters. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But my married brothers, you and I are not getting let off the hook today, unfortunately. Because when we read this text, we're also reminded in Proverbs 19, verse 14, that if we have a wife who fears the Lord, that she is a gift to us from God. So my question to you today is this. Are you treating her like she's a gift? Or have you forgotten that she is a gift from God? Mm. Now, if that caused you to just think that maybe you should go buy some flowers this afternoon, you should. should. It's a good, good start. (laughs) Does that mean you're bringing home flowers today? Absolutely. (laughs) Save me some. But friends, there we, we have it. What characterizes wisdom is strength, compassion, and the fear of the Lord. So good. Mm. So to close, um, you know, like I mentioned before, we sometimes look at this passage and think, 
oh my gosh, no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to live up to this woman of noble character that really speaks to all of us, right? Both men and women. But I'm, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to lack strength and compassion. Um, I'm going to fear other things at times more than I fear God. And this godly wisdom can sometimes feel like it's unattainable or it's beyond our reach. And if the Bible ended with the book of Proverbs, if that was the end of the Bible, then it would feel pretty hopeless. Like we can't exhibit this type of wisdom perfectly. But we all know that our hope never lied with us anyway, right? So look with me at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. It says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And let me just read that verse 30 again. Mm -hmm. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom Mm -hmm. from God. And that means that when you are weak, Mm -hmm. he is strong. That when you lack compassion for someone who is different Mm -hmm. from you, he is compassion for you, through you. Mm -hmm. That when you fear the things of this world and the future, He is courage for you, and he draws you to himself. And that when you are foolish and want to give in to the wisdom of this world, he is wisdom for you. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Amen.